listening to Radio Owl's Nest. The songs of Martin Page, all day, all night, forever. So grab a cup of tea, settle down with us in the Owl's Nest. Well, this has never happened before. Uh, we've invited a guest back for the third time. Uh, must have been paying the right money, or we can't find anybody else. But uh, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting again for the very special doorbell to ring. Uh, and that, uh, I'm hoping, is Diane Poncha, my manager of over 40 years. Is that you? It's me here. You're here back again? Yeah. <laughs> You're not bored yet? Well... <laughs> you dressed well today thank you i mean you dressed every good every time you came but uh I'm you look dr- i put something warmer on yeah today. my air conditioning is definitely uh, uh make it and actually i had to just look over my shoulder because we've got a pool here and we have a duck that i feed and the duck has been hitting its head against the window beak bad beak thank you and asking me to uh put some bread out there i don't know what that has to do with the show except for diane said how cute it is so cute <laughs> Well, that's the show. There we she, go. She knows a sucker when she sees She does. One. She looks through the window and sees me on the microphone and says, he's going to feed me. So uh, anyway, the duck has flown away. Uh, Diane's looking pretty glamorous. And thank you, Diane, for doing doing a third show here. We seem, we've had over 40 years together, so I suppose there's a lot of stories. Yeah. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Well, yeah. After 40 years. Yeah, that's all you can say. <laughs> well, we're talking about it. Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I remember that the last time we spoke, um, we were talk- got up to the point of um, Earth, Wind & Fire. Uh, I think we played a, always a wonderful demo with Philip Bailey. Yeah. And we were talking about what it was like, the atmosphere of Earth, Wind & Fire. And um, I really got taken in by that emotion there. Um, moving on from the Earth, Wind & Fire uh, period... Um, I remember that Diane said to me, I think it's, uh, you're, you're a veteran, but I think it's time for you to make a solo record. Yes, we had talked about it a few times. You know, we were talking about your voice and you being up front, and I always thought you would do it again. Um, so there was that time. It was really yeah, after you yeah. were working with Robbie. That's Robinson. right. That's yeah. right. With Robbie Robertson, I I kept on bringing demos up, and he liked the way I was singing these demos. And he said, "I don't know why you have not made a solo record." Exactly. Thank you, Diane. I just thought you'd gone to sleep there for a second. <laughs> I just had to just hit around the back of the head. <laughs> it's me. It's me, the bloke that you manage. Um, yeah, but I remember that what I do remember, and why I want to talk about it now, is it led to the album "In the House of Stone and Light." That's right. Right. That's right. You finally decided that yeah. that you were ready to do it. And uh, we had uh, uh, somebody that we had a relationship with at the time through publishing, Bob Scoro. That's right. And he had moved on to uh, Mercury Records That's uh, right. in a yep. r Yep. And I remember I had a demo, Light in Your Heart, that made it to the album, which I wrote with Bernie uh, Tolpin. And uh, we played that to him first, and he took a lot of interest. And I, I was thrilled that uh, he offered me a deal. But still, um, my confidence as a singer and being a solo artist, it, I'm glad that it happened then, later in my career. But I do know that you were always, always encouraging me. And even when I said I, I used to sing my demos with a different voice, most you know, to emulate what other people sang, you used to point out things that you liked in the way I sang. Because I, 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 I still felt like I was just doing mini records for other artists. Yes, but you you always, I always thought you had a, a certain character, a recognizable character in your voice. And, out uh, of tune, out of tune, you mean? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's, you had a wonderful way of you, being out of tune. It was if great. If you were, you copped it out, so I never knew. <laughs> I mean, those were the days without auto-tune, so yeah. I must have been doing something right. But um, you did honestly give me a lot of confidence in going for a solo oh, career. Um, and then we went um, on to make this record in the House of Stone and Light with Mercury Records. Um, what can you remember about the beginning of In the House of Stone and Light? I mean, I think I was writing these songs ahead of time and playing you, uh, you know, roughs of what this album was going to be. You were. And actually, in retrospect, it seemed to all come quite quickly. I mean, it wasn't like you would write a song and then struggle to know what to write next. They just seemed to keep coming. Yeah. And I, I remember mm. always being struck by the things that you wrote about mm, you know, yeah. they weren't just all love songs or sure. something like that and um right. you know you would read a book and be um touched by it and then all of a sudden you'd be writing a song that was because of this book i, I think also as you pointed out Di, uh, working with robbie robertson at that period and um, being with him for a long time on that album like over three years and fallen angel taking a year to write I started to believe that I could put a studio in my own house and really try to write songs about what I really cared about and sing um, from the heart. That's right. You you really did build a studio. You built walls inside your garage yep. to soundproof. Did you say garage? It should be garage. It's garage. Garage. You're in the U.S. Yeah, I, you know, I say garage and Diane goes, garage. And uh, <laughs> it I sounds like a perfume, doesn't it? Let's put on some garage. It's more uh, French, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It reminds, I know I'm jumping off here again um, by Billy Connolly. I go off into tangents, but I remember Earth, Wind and Fire when I, you know, you call, you call a trunk on a car. and I, You call it a boot. A boot, yes. And I remember saying to the Earth, Wind and Fire guys, you know, they said, where's your keyboard? And I said, in the boot. And they said, is, is that, the, how does it fit in there? Is that your girlfriend? <laughs> what is that? The boot? What is that? A <laughs> booty. <laughs> anyway. Back to In the House they of Stone. They tried to get you to say all kinds oh, of I'm things. I'm telling you, I can't, I can't say it, can I? I, can't, I better not say what they made us say. Up against the wall. Yeah, I nearly said it, and I can't. But you can guess. Up against the wall. M Uckers. F. Yes, and uh, the more we said it with an English accent, up against the they wall, you. They were in stitches. they were just a fall around on the floor. Yeah. No work was done as they just, <laughs> say it again, say it again, you two. Um, <laughs> anyway, In the House of Stone and Light, my own first uh, solo record, um, we we did it all in the house here, uh, except for um, and actually, Diane, um, you coordinated this album as you did for a lot. That's a wonderful thing as a manager. You used to also coordinate my work if I produced or made albums. Anytime you produced, yeah, I just acted like the um, production coordinator. Which what would that involve a production coordinator? Well, you have to create the budget first and um, and get that approved, and then you have to just try and. You have to book the studio and a lot of times um, negotiate the rate with the studio and... Um, and with the musicians as well. And the musicians and mm. keep keep track of all of the... I used to keep a directory of all the musicians which we could hand out to everybody so we, you could get in touch with mm. each other if it was a project. And... Um, uh, and then just keep track, you know, do yeah. do the union contracts, you know, if if they were doing, like when, when it was at Mercury, we had yeah. to do sessions, yeah. or if you were producing somebody else that was on a, a label. And I was very fortunate doing this record, because I just went like, I want this drummer, 
I want this singer. I want, and yeah. they weren't all here. So Jimmy Copley was from England. Uh, Neil Taylor was from Bath in England. I had to PJ arrange for Moore, them to come. PJ and Moore in Scotland. Yeah. I remember, what was it? Up. And she had, I said, Diane, find out about the Blue Nile. They're so wonderful. That was a trip. And you, you called I did them. I, you know, yeah. I was relentless. And they're hard to find. They're mysterious. Yeah, they were. Nobody knew how to get a hold of them. And I just, you know, went on a mission and, and did eventually find them. But once I had them on the phone, I, I could hardly understand a word they said because <laughs> they were really Scottish. I mean, Edinburgh. thick yeah, Scottish yeah. accents. So Diane would report to me and she'd say, well, what they said was, I have no idea. I said, I, I, I'm not sure which one said this because I couldn't understand <laughs> the names. It didn't fit with anything, you know, yeah. I had written down in front of me. So so what was great, as I could say, you know, I'd love to get Jeffrey Oriama, who was a singer with Peter Gabriel. We'd seen at Womad. I said, Diane, can you get us to to see him and diane got me to meet peter gabriel uh and talk to him about it and diane would speak to jimmy copley's people in england and so all the best musicians that i was hoping for as a coordinator you had to help me with that as well didn't yeah you? yeah i just just went and, and uh, got it done yeah and but, I, I think how long did we take on that album how long did it take house of stone and Light? yeah can you remember the uh, well i can't actually i can't actually remember it it, I don't think it was an extraordinary amount of time because mm. really you you wrote the songs yeah. and you you always used to create quite well done demos. Yes. Um, and so I remember you did these and you had them pretty well um, organized as you always do. And then you had to write the words because you did phonetic vocals. At That's first. right. Yeah, I still do that. And yeah. in the meantime, there was a whole mm. thing about rehearsals. Yes. Which I think yeah. you remember more details about that than than I do, but but you did rehearse. You rehearsed with. You sent the tapes out. To yeah, you, everybody. you actually bring him back the memories. I've already done three specials of Radio Alice Nesta. If you don't, if you get a chance, go back and listen to uh, the story of how House of the Stone Light was made. Yeah. But as Diane said, I would send uh, my demos and my cassettes broken down to all the musicians, well up time with chord sheets, and uh, they would learn and take the songs in before they came. Yes. Of course, there was Bill Dylan from Canada. Right. A lot of these musicians weren't. Uh, uh, and then we made the house. We just uh, barricaded ourselves and made it. Uh, uh, soundproof, and we did a lot of work yeah, here. Used used uh, couch cushions yeah. and all kinds. Of but the, I've got to say here, though, with uh, my res my relationship with Diane, and hopefully, hopefully, in the last series here, uh, the emotional side of playing my music, I was I trusted Diane. Um, in all my years, I'd always, you know, I'd had partners. Brian Brian Fairweather, the guitarist, uh, became a partner to me for a long period of time, and Diane became also a musical partner to me. I really trusted her her ear, and you need that. And she became the executive producer on this record I, w I absolutely believed if I played her anything because she was a fan of my music but also knew how I wrote and what my how far I could go and what maybe I should achieve I totally trusted what you said about the demos and yeah. what songs were strong and if the lyrics were working and of course it was analog in those days so <clears throat> sometimes it was very hard to say I think that you could do this better because I knew that it meant a, a lot, lot of work, work yeah. you know, because yeah. you didn't. It wasn't digital, mm -hmm. uh, but 
but I, it, it was a struggle for like two seconds because I knew I had mm. to tell you what I really thought or yeah. else what was the point. Well, that's, that's the great, I hope songwriters out there um, find that person that you, that as a, that you, um, a manager, uh, a companion that can listen to your music and you trust. I mean, it's, it's, it's a rare thing. I can, yeah. All the years I was in writing and in L.A., I knew that a lot of writers I worked with, they didn't have that. So I really felt very lucky that I could say, Diane, what do you think about this? What do you think about this mid late? And I knew that you would say, um, even if I was worried about it, you'd say, no, I think it's stronger than you think or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Diane made, friend with, made friends with all the musicians that played on the record. It was very much like a friendship family. Uh, you'll hear that on the uh, specials that I recorded that I got all the players I wanted. And luckily, um, it became a hit. House of Stone and Light became a hit after a long time. I think a lot of that is due to the work you did. Your mouth. <laughs> it's still In there. Particular. It's yeah. still there. My, this big <laughs> mouth of mine. Yeah, and I, well, we went to New York. We knew we had to even fund our own flights across because Mercury Records were there. And I believed with you so passionately that this record was quite special. Yeah. And I wasn't a young artist. I was a mature artist. So I, but I believed in the passion of it. And I think we went to, we went to New York uh, on our own reconnaissance trips about yes. you know four or five times and made friends with everybody in the buildings so i won't i won't overdo this because if you're interested any of you out there go back and listen to the specials but diane had to fight uh f through the jungle of business and politics i have to say yeah. that that on the publishing side which is before you did the album most of what i dealt with in the in the you know the work world uh the business side of it and and that was like ASCAP and people like that in publishing. And they were always amazing. Can you hear that? Yeah. I think that's the phone again. I, yes, we get these messages on the phone that says <laughs> spam alert, right? Or spam alert or spam... Spam risk. Spam risk. Spam, spam, You might want to eat spam. spam. Uh, it's, a, it's a risk that you're going to eat spam, so back away. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, Diane, what were you talking about there with that? I was problem? just saying in general, uh, this is true all the time, but in general at the time, I remember thinking the publishing side of things, that world was really great yeah. to work in. Yes, that's uh, right. Yeah. The, Different the time. record company side of things. That's true. That was really sometimes awful. Yeah, yeah. That was just like an uphill battle all the time. And I felt like it was partly because I wasn't a huge manager, because I wasn't huge in general, I five feet tall, and because I was a female. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, there are certain pre-assumptions yeah. about whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I fit yeah. into all those places. Yeah. So... Um, oh, I'd like to talk about that a little later in yeah. the show. What it is to, you know, the, the female aspect. Of but Mercury this, yeah. was was tough. Yeah, they were tough. They were a label that was going through a tough time. Yeah, they were about to uh, stop working for a while, and I was one of the last uh, successful records they had at that time. They were sort of living off of Bon Jovi, yeah. um, and in fact, even after we'd had a, a very successful record with. House of Stone and Light. When it came from my second record, they just did not want to go forward on it, and uh, they dropped a lot of artists at that time, um, and that led to us forming our own label, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, House of Stone and Light went up the charts. We had like two years of it being the most performed song, and the single did really, really well. Um, but I do remember that it was a constant, and we're talking to Diane because of the management side of it, and as I've said before, if you want to hear about the musical side of it, go back to some of the specials I've done. I've done three parts. But tell me, Diane, um, what was it like um, combating 
uh, a big label like Mercury to get press, to get us on the road, to get the record company to, to believe in this act? Well, it was sometimes intimidating, I have to admit, but mostly extremely frustrating, um, you know, because it, it, yeah. you knew that you, you wanted these people to just forget about preconceptions and just listen to yeah. what you're saying yeah. that you think is making sense. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that could be very frustrating and... Um, you know, hard to get past that. Constant but battle, isn't it? Constant, constant battle, battle yeah. but focus. You, yeah, you have to focus. Yeah, you yeah. you have to not be distracted by it and just push on because eventually yeah. they have no choice if it does make sense, but to yeah. uh, eventually come to the same conclusion. You're bringing memories again uh, that uh, we got Phil Collins involved playing drums, and uh, after he heard the album, he wrote us a letter and said, uh, by hook or crook, this should be a success because it's done from a great place, the music is terrific, and you've got to battle the record company. This should be strong. And he wrote that on his own vibe, yeah. and then Phil, uh, Peter gabriel heard it and he said the same yeah. thing so we and also we had so much belief in the spirit of the record yes and i'm saying that just to sell it but i believed in the communication of songs we're like in the house of stone like which were restoration songs same way i'd been with robbie robertson and robbie robertson played on the album and songs like in my room dealing with um domestic violence um and we just there was there was a lot of uh, passion it was a mature record and i think that's what made us sell it to the the record company with so much devotion you know when when they were a little half-hearted about it we would arrive again in the offices and just rev up the people we could uh, this leads me to um we started the tour after we did the uh, video with matt maharan and um you when we went, went on the road we had to we we had a great tour really because we you got us somehow a fantastic coach to travel in and um we were treated in a way i think through all your negotiating like a band that had been out there for a long time well the first tour was the um international tour in germany right no <clears throat> we were in america for a brief time and then that came in, a phone call from Germany to come to the... Oh, that's right. Well, yeah. you played a few things. It wasn't really a tour. We played for the record company, and then uh, yeah, I but think I think we, the I think we did show. A, yeah, we did Tonight Show, and then we did a few gigs. But I always remember that we were treated very well. And when we had to do some gigs, um, you look, that we were looked after. Um, well, I think it was... Mm. Um, I'll put that some, down to you, I tell you. I think somebody from the record company, John Mazzacco probably... Uh, let me know about this company because you know we have if we're going to do a tour and and we were going to do our tour we were going to have to pay all those musicians we we're going to have to put them up we we're going to have to have a whole organization going on yeah. we have to get, get yeah. the coaches yeah. so we hired this company uh, that that does that they do payroll they do everything for yeah. you you just yeah. have to. Uh, keep oh, on top right. of them yeah, yeah. so so that it would all be done properly and we wouldn't have to worry about the taxes and, uh, and then when house of stone and light was happening in america suddenly out of the blue we got a call from the top promoter in germany saying you know you need to come across for the uh, major tour here uh, in the olympic stadium and start there with a yeah, and we thought these were stadium gigs to start with yeah i uh, thought this is we got to do this we got to do this yeah. and i think it wasn't easy to get over there was it diane we uh, what was the story behind that well, ger we, german tour we talked to mercury and we talked to the international department who was a nice guy i can't remember his name but he was he was a good man and um everybody was behind it and yep. there was a certain amount of uh tour support that they agreed to provide and um 
Of course, being the way I am, uh, anal, I I had things signed and everything to, to, yeah, to yeah. confirm what they were going to do. And then um, I wanted to get that done before we signed any any uh, contracts for, for gigs. Uh, because if you back out of those at the last minute, mm-hmm. you, they can sue you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, like very shortly before we were going to do Germany. Yeah. Uh, and we had to hire a... a, a a road manager. That's right, tour manager. Turned out to be Ian. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, uh, they they started. They tried to back out of uh, the tour, saying you, we can't we can't support yeah. you for a German tour and uh, so on yeah. and so forth. And they, and um, we're arguing about it. But you have to. We've already booked it. You know, Mar- Martin is now uh, exposed, and they couldn't have cared less if That's Martin right. was exposed yeah. as long as they weren't. So finally, I said to John Mazzocco on the phone, you know, um, whatever his name was in international, the head of the international department, he signed uh, a commitment to to do this, and yeah. all of a sudden, John's whole tone changed. I think John was one of the it's nice, on paper, it's one signed. of the good guys. Yeah, he was there. one of the good guys. Yeah. Uh, said he yep. did. Uh, can you send me a copy of that? And everything changed after yeah. that. And in the end, they agreed to. So it's uh, good to get things signed. It's at certain totally yeah. agreed to cover your. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we got across to Germany. Um, and uh, but I remember they wouldn't fund all the money, so I put a lot of money in myself. You, you said yeah. I'll put it. That's okay. They they came back with. I think they talked to their attorneys and came back with. Well, we'll support this amount. Yeah. But no more. Knowing three dollars fifty in their minds, I think they thought, well, we can't do it for that amount of money. Yeah, we, will, yeah. we will have to. We'll yeah. have to be the ones that say we can't go. Yes. Yeah. And um, to their surprise, I'm sure you said, well, we're going to. I'll go. pay the rest. Yeah, yeah. And I had to, and it was really worthwhile to do because um, we were getting the exposure we needed. And also, after that tour, we came back, and still the record company was going into a decline. And so even though we had a seven-piece band, uh, Diane had to sort of keep us on the road because um, they didn't want to fund us going on. And then we had to cut down players and think if we could do it acoustically. And that was a um, it was a battle to keep us out there, which you did a great job with. Thank you. Well, mm. that was the, then we were doing gigs in America. In America. Yeah. And um, there were a lot of small gigs in between, small yes. clubs. And then there were uh, stadium gigs That's in between, right. where like festival yeah. dates, where there were a lot of bands, yeah. and they paid a lot more. Yes. Because yeah, yeah. there were a lot of people that would go uh, to see lots of different bands. And yeah. so if we could just get to the stadium dates, yeah. that would pay for what we didn't get with the small gigs. in between. Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted to cut you off you know, in Atlanta or somewhere along the way. We were trying to get to Michigan where there was this big festival gig that would take care of everything. And pay everything off, yes. uh, They had us doing somersaults and and standing on our heads and all kinds of things. I remember I was on the coach and I had to say, pull over, lads. I've got to get off the coach and get get into a phone booth. Yes, they didn't have uh, cell phones then. And I'd call Diane. It was a different time zone. and said, are we still on the road? And she'd have to say, yes, hang in there. Keep going to Springfield. We're still... like like, a, like like going to war, you know, like keep Martin moving towards to, keep moving to towards Dunkirk. <laughs> just get near the coast, and uh, I'd get back on the coach, and the lads would say in the band, "Are we still on the road? Can we keep playing?" Because everybody was so into it, and I'd say, "Yes, we've got to move on." I think Diane's going to work this all out for us. Oh, yeah. they made me jump through hoops, really. Yeah. I mean, and then they'd say, "Okay, okay," John would say, "Okay, 
put mm. it in writing. Yeah. And I thought, oh, no. Because that's New York, and we're in L.A. That's yeah. three hours. So I'd have to stay up all night yeah. putting something in writing that I thought sounded really convincing that they couldn't deny. So it had to be right because it was in writing. Yeah. And uh, send it to them because we did have um, faxes. So I'd fax it to them so that they would get, you know, like in the middle of the night, my time, so that when they came in in the morning, however early, it would already be there. Um, This is the life of a manager. And this is a life of a manager that does everything, <laughs> uh, coordinates the record, is doing the secretarial work. I know you had to hire hire some people when House of Stone and Light started up the church. Yeah. I remember that you had an office, and it was like people were just running around as we were trying to get this stuff together. But uh, we did get uh, a very successful record, and we did tour, and it was great fun. And, it was great fun. Uh, uh, it was worth it in the Even long run. Even with all that. Yes, was, yes, yeah. yes. And... Uh, my mother saw me on TV, on MTV, uh, singing a song. So that was worth it all. But that's a manager's lot, isn't it? And I mean, and particularly if you're a female, you're already... And yes. I mean, it, 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 in the early years when I first met you, there weren't that many females in the business. No, and also you were really my only client. So it wasn't like like if I managed somebody that was big on the label, I couldn't use that against them and yeah. say, you yeah. know, if you don't... A lot of managers do that. They'll say, well, you know... Uh, let's say I had somebody like Bon Jovi. I could yeah. say, well, you know, you know, hint that yes. we're not going to do this for you with Bon Jovi if you don't give well, me this for Mark. This is why you know it's, we only got an hour here, but I would just want House of Stone and Light. What, a, what an experience! And Diane was instrumental in making me and believe in being a solo artist. But I'm going to jump back now here to because this has just triggered me again that. Um, Diane realized that my QFIL deal and my first publishing deal wasn't strong at all. And she talked to Bob Cavallo about it and said, we want to get you, Martin and Brian, off of that label. Because we thought we just want to be songwriters. We got a terrible deal. And... uh, and at the same time, I think this, uh, I'm getting a bit confused here, but we actually didn't have a video for our second single. And Diane negotiated us to do Heroes Never Die. But straight after that point, we didn't want to carry on with Q-Field. We didn't like the deal. And Diane got Bob Cavallo, again, Cavallo, Ruffano, Fanoli, who have Prince, Earth, One of all these artists. Yes. And just what you were saying there, yeah. um, we got Clive Calder, the head of Jive Records, to come over and meet you and uh, Bob. And, Bob. and to neg- and uh, if I remember this right, and I'll let Diane say this, I think Bob and you said uh, Prince hasn't got an English distributor. Bob did this. Yeah. You know, this is what he did. Yeah. He was really good at that. And um, you know, so and Clive apparently really admired the organization that Bob had. He had. thought he thought Prince and the whole and the management company were the epitome. I mean, he was complete, pretty com- confused that we were linked up to it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was, um, uh, you know, it was great. That's why when I broke away uh, on my own to manage you, I had, uh, why yeah. I said to Bob, can I do but this? But that happened, didn't it, that Bob said, you know, I'm quite interested in maybe you could handle Prince in England. He and that, that, that. I know yeah. that Clive Calder... Oh yeah. So uh, and that made our, and that made it me easier. So he Le- wanted to make Bob happy. Yeah. And he let us go as an as an artist. It didn't just let you go though. I mean that yeah, it we, was a yeah. pretty price. We had to really yeah. negotiate that the terms of it. Yeah. But you know you. But got, you know Clive, you got Cl- Clive Calder now and I give take my hats off to him. He was take he uh, he saw the potential of m- me and Brian and he saw great engine. He brought made a really great label that he wanted to base on Motown. 
But then when I came to America, he didn't think it was a good idea for me to leave, to go to America. And then we got cuts with Barbara Streisand, Neil Diamond, and Earth, Wind & Fire. And we had to really convince him to... They used to say things like, yeah. we're not going to do this for you, and let, you know, until you get... If, if you were getting cuts by people like Barbara Streisand, that would be different. And then within a week or two, Yeah, we boom. got it. And I remember seeing, you know, Clive I'd met in London and when he signed me, and he was, he was top dog. But when I saw him walk in the office to meet Diane and Bob Cavallo... He was definitely um, wanting to please. Yeah. And so from Brian and myself, looking through a crack in the door to see him, we were like, oh, look, he looks as nervous as we looked when <laughs> we signed the deal. So, um, uh, yes, we, I'm going back again. But Diane said using one artist uh, against another to get your, uh, get your way. Is sometimes yeah, and there's worse. a lot of little tricks like that, which I didn't have because I only managed you and... You know, it was just that. So I didn't have that in my in my pocket. Yeah, yeah but you had Bob Cavallo in your. I in did your have pocket. Bo Bob yeah. when uh, when we first broke away, and we were in the middle of doing a deal with them for your yeah. publishing. And I said to Bob, "But what happens, Bob? About, as soon as I leave this office on my own, they're gonna they're gonna just cut off any kind of uh, yes, you know, good goodwill." Um, when did you see women coming into the industry? It more? was already starting to happen. Which would have been I mean, around was, the 80s. There was the 80s, Trudy right? Green and, yeah. um, and Jody, Jody, uh, Jody Well, Graham. she was an attorney. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. was that was something that, yeah, that was. Really I've always felt myself that women, when and I, I've been a lot of my business has been handled by women. Even now, our attorney Laurie Soriano, yeah. as I believe that when women are committed to something they believe in, they will go to the ends of the earth to make it happen. And when Jive Records one time, Clive Calder again, sent some attorneys over to L.A. to renegotiate another publishing deal, they sent over the top uh, attorney from New York. And um, I remember Jody, Jody Graham saying to us, oh, my God, it, 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 the killer's coming into town. Yeah. And, then I, and Jody's a small lady. And I saw yeah. Diane and Jody. Uh, and I remember telling Jody something that my dad had told me. Yeah. Because I used to ask my, I asked my dad once, don't you ever get intimidated? Because he was a wheeler dealer. And I said to Jody, you know, I know that guy. Um, I used to know him from, you know, some, uh, some other job I had. And I said, when he was young and fresh out of college, I mm. said, he has mm. to. <clears throat> he has to crap. He has to crap, too. You've got to take his know? trousers off and crap exactly. like everybody else. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but I got I got I got to say here that um, I know that Jody was a bit pensive about this man's reputation, yeah. and I remember I went to the office before you both had to negotiate, and you're both about five foot two. Yeah, she was. Tiny. And I thought, oh, I'm going to win this real easy. There's no, <laughs> and we did. And I said, you know, it was a powerhouse. Yeah, it felt two, so good. The uh, three two, of us, two small ladies going in and just believing in something. And you used to come out of the room and talk to me, and I and say we went in their their big conference room, yeah, and we we'd, we'd talk. And go back Two and forth, ladies and against then we'd the come world. into a separate room where you were, yeah. and we'd go over it with you, and then we'd decide what to do. Yeah. Come back. I was absolutely totally confident. It felt really good. That yeah, day. I was, and we did. We got everything we wanted, and yeah. it's because it was um, two women that absolutely believed in what they were doing, and, and Jody was. Yeah, Shut she was great. She was on it. And what was fair? But we're, we're getting to thirty minutes. We haven't played the music, hmm. uh, so. Um, 
that's the story of House of Stone and Light. Go back to the uh, specials that I've done to go into more depth. But we formed our own label after we left Mercury. Diane said, let's form our own independent label. label. It was a time of digital, time of everybody streaming and everything, everything being done achieved. on Pro Tools. And so we formed a label called Ironing Board between the two of us, which was based on when I first had two speakers in America. And I put them on my mother's ironing board. And we thought, that's a great title. That's how I started my studio. And we formed our own label and started putting solo records out. My second album was called In the Temple of the Muse. And uh, I had a song on there called The Long Walk Home. And uh, uh, Robbie Williams, this is what was great putting out my own solo records. I've been playing soccer with Robbie Williams. And a few artists, including him, heard songs on this my independent uh, new record. And uh, Robbie said, I want to cut The Long Walk Home, which was a song about, uh, again, uh, restoration, redemption, and beating uh, addiction, which I think he really, really related to. And um, we had our, we recorded this song on our own label, haven't we, Diane? Yeah. Long Walk Home. Yes. Um, and, of course, Robbie had to lease it from us, right? Yeah. Is that he, what we would say? Use, EMI wanted to take that. He wanted to use your tracks because he loved That's the That's right. He wanted to sing on top of my tracks. But we knew that we were going to put, that we, we had it on your album. Yeah. So we... If we, if they technically, if they purchased the tracks, if they paid for the tracks as backing tracks for Robbie, uh, technically that means that Robbie has the rights because right. he would have paid for the rights. Yeah. But we wanted to retain our rights because we knew we had it out too, using yeah. the same tracks. It was a very unusual thing and took yeah. a lot of thinking how how to create this deal. This has happened a lot in my career where yeah. Diane has to step in, getting my green card um, and working out how to get songs. How to make it work. How to make it work and to think outside the box. Yeah. I mean, uh, I have but to I have say. to say, Lori Soriano, the yes. attorney yeah. uh, at the time. Uh, Another lady? still our attorney. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think Robbie's manager she's, was, uh, was She's female. the one who would have come up with, with how to do it. Yeah. I just told her what we needed it to do yeah. and she knew how she knew what to do so i but thought even she said this is unusual it is an unusual yeah. deal and it was your concept again mm. um uh, and everybody followed it which was lovely because <coughs> i used to look at diane and say make it work <laughs> and diane would think of a very interesting concept outside of the box but we're going to play the long walk home now um the the original demo um not even the song this is really a rare uh rare piece of music it's not even the song that went on to uh, in the temple of the muse or what robbie sang this was the first demo and i just want to point out what we were talking about earlier um diane uh, told me to sing this bloody song about <laughs> 432 times every time i played her the long walk home she said i think you can do a better vocal i didn't have this middle eight and she said i think you need a middle eight so um after cursing I eventually kept on singing this lead vocal until we got it right. And as uh, we said earlier in the show, I was very always open open to what Diane said, and she was right. We got a very, very, very deep um, personal uh, lead vocal on this. What you're going to hear, though, is the first demo where the drums are going through it all the time, and it never never really breaks down. Later, when I made the, the, the record with Robbie and myself, I broke this song down into um, more of a minimal beginning. But anyway, uh, shall we play the raw demo that Diane made me sing 500, was it 532 times? <laughs> 533 times. Uh, shall we play the long walk home? Yes. Okay, here we go. Baby, you can pick away the moon 
that was exhausting to listen to that because I realised how many times I had to bloody well sing it. Um, <laughs> that was a long walk home, the original demo, and I will probably put that on the Poetry of Collisions Volume 2, so uh, that'll be a bit of a gem to put on there. Um, I, the thing I want to mention about Diane is that she's so musical, as I keep on talking about, but she also plays piano, and every time I used to go across to her house, she might be tinkering there, and... Uh, uh playing piano in some ways much better than me um it's true uh but i knew what the chords were and she said i don't know what i'm playing and i was saying yeah but it sounds good but i would know what the chords were or what the notes were and where she was going one day i was across at her house and she started to play this beautiful piece and um i was very jealous and i know i said um i can steal that no she was pl <laughs> playing this piece and i just thought wouldn't it be great to develop this and uh we ended up writing a song together didn't we we did yeah which uh, i was so thrilled well it just it was a beautiful 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 um theme you had and i could hear that um uh that i might be able to do something with it uh and uh we were working with josh groban around that time he'd just done me morena and i thought i'd like to do this a little bit like a josh groban kind of um classical piece um and it turned into, I think, quite a beautiful song. In the end, I, I believe it uh, feels a bit like a James Bond theme. But um, yeah. I really enjoyed writing that with you. And uh, we did a key change and everything. And it was, qu again, yeah. quite hard to sing because you had to, I was trying to get that range up for yeah. Josh Groban to, hing, uh, to, to reach and to it be attracted by it. Because what can you remember about uh, Love Never Says Goodbye? Well, I remember just coming up with this this part and i never can write anything commercial i just do things by ear uh, it's always yeah. been by ear all my life mm. it stopped me from being able to read music but you hear well. fantastic harmonies and you hear the she hears these gregorian harmonies which are, <laughs> if i sing normal harmonies she goes yes but there's another weird one in there that we have to get but <laughs> <laughs> but you do you know um uh so love never says goodbye sorry i stopped you there but what were your thoughts i, I was just thinking uh, i i'd had it for quite a while and played it to you and you yeah. immediately said that's really beautiful right there yeah so I think a couple of years went by, That's and then right. all of a sudden you said, you know, I, I want to finish that. Well, you, I brought, we recorded you playing it on a cassette, I think. That's right. And I took it back to the house and uh, sort of developed for, from yes. there. But I wanted to please you. And I think even when I started to first write it, you were like, yeah, yeah, mm, uh, uh, and then um, it was a great chorus she had. And I was, I was backtracking. I was writing the verse. You finished to the off choruses. that chorus to make it yeah. more yeah. commercial, more real yeah. for a song. Yeah. Mine was more like a piece. Well, it was a theatrical. It was on. a theatrical piece. Yeah. Very dramatic. Yeah. It's not the normal stuff that I write. Yeah. Um, and I think it was one of the first things I did on Pro Tools, and so I was experimenting with microphones and stuff. But um, yeah, I think I used to come across to your house, and then I'd be, I'd hear you playing it, and it just yeah. uh, it came into my blood. Yeah. And um, we eventually got it cut, and we finished it, and yes. we published it, and so yeah, it's uh, got it cut. Poncha Page song. Well, I prefer Page Poncha. Page Poncha. Yeah, I've got to put a name first. But I think we should play. The crowd out there who now needs to hear it will play you the song that we wrote together, the demo um, called uh, Love Never Says Goodbye. Shall we do it? Yes, let's do it. So we're going to do it. Love Never Says Goodbye. Who can say where our lives will lead if destiny takes you away from me Can we make it through Will our hearts survive Now I know the truth 
trying to be very dramatic but uh, Love Never Says Goodbye written by Diane and myself uh, Diane does play the piano quite a bit don't you away from me sometimes I come yeah, across sometimes. and you you doodle and sometimes yeah. I think I'll need to steal some of that this brings up a memory that we didn't just write this one song we wrote a song uh, called Stranded yeah me Brian and Diane in the 80s or just coming into the 90s and Georgie Moroder 
uh, allowed us into his studio uh, to record three tracks for Diana Ross. He was about to produce Diana Ross. And he, he didn't have the gig, but he thought knew we, that Brian and I were uh, hip songwriters. Yeah. Richie Zito, we mentioned right. him. He was doing uh, guitars and playing, dr- doing drum machine with Georgie Moroda. And so um, Georgie Moroda uh, um, allowed us into the studio for one day. And one of the songs we wrote was Stranded. And I think... Um, I couldn't find it. I went looking for it. I'm going to have to find this because I thought I'd love to play that. Um, so our, uh, we did write a uh, Fairweather Page Poncho song. Yes. What do you remember about Stranded? Well, that was one I, I sort of started and that you were attracted to. And so uh, that wasn't finished or anything. I, 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 that's all I remember. And then you guys finished it off. And we all, we were having so much fun that day. Um, you played on it, didn't you? I played on it. I actually <laughs> played on a, on a synthesizer, which was odd, but it was fun. Yeah, I remember, I, I, I can, you know, I remember Georgie Moroder. Um, we were working on these three songs. Uh, th- I'm going off on a tangent again. Uh, and he, his studio was joined to his house somewhere up in the hills. And I thought the house was so... Uh, clinical and so like a hospital it was so one of those kind of modern places I only remember that I can remember because I thought well this isn't very warm but he was very wealthy and he'd had all this success and he had a studio in the back and we did these three tracks and he kept on popping his head in and going have you finished have you finished yet <laughs> and we go no no we got to do this we got to do that we got to do this and um, I can't even remember the other two songs we wrote. And we were thinking about Diana Ross, and he wanted her to be modern. He put his head in every 10 minutes. Why have you not finished? It's a demo. <laughs> it's demos, boys. Demos, boys. Demo. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, but, you know, we still got to do a good job. Yeah, demos. Throw it out. <laughs> Give it to me. That's a terrible impression of Georgie Moroder. But, um,. Nothing came of it. I don't think Georgie Murray got the gig anyway to do Diana Ross. But I just wanted to bring up that we have written a song with Diane, which I'll try and find, called Stranded. I so. can't even remember how it goes. <laughs> Nor can I, but I can remember the title. Um, yeah. And actually, out of the three we wrote, we thought Stranded. I can remember lyrically. We thought, because we were trying to do the Diana Ross thing. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we, we, we knew that uh, she was working with different producers. Um, and uh, Nile Rogers he'd worked with, yeah. so we were trying to think what would be the next modern thing for Diana Ross. Demo, boys, demo, faster, quicker, quicker. <laughs> That's the German demo. way. <laughs> Can you remember that? That's it. Yeah. Me and Brian just used to go like, just one, 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 more, one more harmony. No, it's a demo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Georgie was a fast worker. There's no doubt about that, and I'm sure we took, took him to the edge. You know, uh, again, you know, with Diane, it's uh, not only she writing with us, she's the orchestrator of um, incredibly Gregorian harmonies, um, but also um, helping us with, help me with my albums and um, being a coordinator. Um, so a manager, you know, that's really passionate about an artist, I'm hoping that some people pick up on this. Um, you have to be a bit of an all-rounder. You have to touch everything. Um, I never... I always felt strong that I had a female manager. I just thought that I've always had that feeling. I think through my mother, having, when, when my mother was passionate about something, my father couldn't move a, uh, a woman when she's determined. I think that's, uh, that's a real thing. And um, I, most, people, most people that I've really been close to in my business has been, uh, I've been ladies. Um, and I've never known anybody, uh, ladies not be um, real or passionate about something they would be really believe in. I'm rambling here, but I want to ask Diane, because it's the th- third show we've done, I think this is really important for the, the ladies out there. What, what, what's it like to be in a man's world, uh, working in, a, in, a, in the arts, working in, a, in the music business, um, 
and being a woman. Mm. Well, yes. I mean, at the time, because I'm sure it's a lot different now. Things have changed over the years. I see a lot of women mm. now yes. uh, in powerful positions. But then, um, you know, you didn't really see that much of that, and it was much harder to, to be taken seriously or to be, yeah, uh, to be taken seriously as a yeah. real player. Entity, yeah. 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 Um, so I think in the very early days, even before I met you, there was a lot of how, how, do, you, how do you act? Do, are you supposed to be more like a man right. so that the woman part of it doesn't sort of get in the way? Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people thought that that's how you should be. And there were a lot of really nasty business mm-hmm. uh, approaches because they thought they had to be hard. And uh, I, I worked for a woman at Epic Records for, for several years mm-hmm. who was anything but that. She was really a sweet woman. Yeah. She was very smart. And, and I learned a lot from her. And it, and it taught me. You don't have to be a bitch yeah. in order to be taken seriously mm-hmm. or to get things done. So that was, okay, check that off the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were, I think there was a lot of that. I wasn't the only one of, of wondering how should I approach this in order to yeah. um, overcome the fact. I mean, I think we all knew that being a woman was like a deficit at, at the time. For, yeah. For, yeah. So you had to overcome that. But I think if you had something that you believed in, the biggest thing was to believe in something strongly enough hmm. uh, to have the courage to keep on it yeah. and uh, and move forward. You have to have a little courage. Yeah. And and uh, again, that expression, the leap of faith. How did your father feel about you when you? Because your dad had been a manager, and then you did. You've achieved. You achieved number one records, and uh, you know we had awards. And I think eventually yeah. my dad was very proud. But it's funny because my dad was from the old school. He, yeah, you know he was like one of those guys. Like he, you know, yeah. if we were if the family was out walking around, he, you know, flirt with my mother and and mm-hmm. you know touch her and stuff yeah. in public she oh leonard <laughs> you know but um, he was very much that way yeah. and said all yeah. the wrong things yeah uh, they weren't wrong at the time that's um, true yeah but he couldn't uh, do that now no yeah. he couldn't and yeah. uh so that's what i grew up around you know like the frank sinatra era absolutely people. yeah the rat pack yeah um and so you know, uh, like if if I was a guy, maybe my father and I would have had a chat where he would have maybe um, funded me to start a yeah. business or yeah. something. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't even in the question, and I didn't right. want to ask. So, uh, you know, as far as that goes, I don't think my father. Uh, I think my father always thought I would find a guy, get yeah. married, and yeah. have kids, and that would be that. You right. know, uh, so that was my dad. But then later on, when I did decide to work instead of uh, do that family thing. Um, He, uh, I think, was quite proud. When I I did certain, when there were certain deals that we did that were really good deals, uh, and we had, um, you know, a press about it, uh, I I could yeah. tell he was really proud about that. Yeah, whenever I met your dad, I could tell that he felt like we'd achieved something. Yeah. I remember Bob Cavallo uh, when we'd uh, achieved uh, the success with Mercury Records. I remember him saying to us, "I don't know how you guys 
motivated that with a label yes. that really wasn't. Um, he knew that it was a sick label. You sick know, label. They were yeah, apart. I remember that. So I want to ask: Is it have what's it? What's been the lowest? Uh, part of being a female in the business. Can you remember a time when you when you felt desperate and you had to lift yourself up and say no, uh, no, we're going to do this, or I'm going to I'm going to not not succumb to this. Well, I I think during the Mercury years was the, probably the the hardest and the the time during which I felt the most uh, frustrated yeah, uh, yeah. about not being able to yeah. to. Uh, be we, as weren't, powerful we weren't as in the same town either, so it was always a distance. No, thing, that's you know. true. But yeah. but there were certain people at that label, and I I can't really say fairly. I mean, I think John Mazzocco was a good guy, but he couldn't be too good on yeah. our side because he and had a lady, to work with a lady that Carrie Wood, who Carrie Wood was who fantastic. believed in me, her, the yes. head of AC. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So there were a few really good people that stood yeah. out there. Thank goodness they were there. Yeah. But then there were others, and they just they didn't believe. Um, there, there was one time when I think it was Bob Scoro tried to get you to sign with another manager that they had that had a lot of clients. They had about three clients that were that were on Mercury. Yeah, Records. signed to the same label. Yeah. yeah, and they did all. They did management. They had production yep. uh, thing and um, something else, touring or something. Mm -hmm. So they were they were like an organization. Well, it, it made it easy for them. You know, yeah. they, they said, oh, we've got a manager that handles three of our artists. Let's just all join it together. Right, because they had a thing going on. And there. they couldn't read me properly because they came down to a rehearsal and uh, they walked in. Uh, they tried to steal you. Yeah, and I remember that they just walked into the rehearsal studio and I was like, okay, guys, but oh, I'm, we're, we're rehearsing. So, And then they pulled me to one side and they sort of suggested something to me. And I must admit, I nearly killed them both. Um, I was they very, must have been very shocked. Oh, they were. They just backed off and I could feel it for them because I was just... But you know, that was illegal at the time. It truly was. And they were definitely saying, hey, you know, we could uh, arrange this and we think this. And uh, I just faced them straight on. Bigger like, company. Yeah, and I, you know, it, to me it was like, you know, I had a relationship with them, but I thought, I don't think you can read me and Diane. Yeah. I don't think you can see this clearly. Yeah. This is a teamwork, and this uh, we're, we're partners. And so um, I remember Bob Scoro, you know, bless his soul for signing me, but um, I think I gave him the evil eye, and he went into the shadows and went like, oh, oh my God, I'm going to die today. Um, <laughs> I definitely, uh, I can't stand that stuff. I know. I, I can't stand that. I stuff. know, and I'm sure. I mean, I, we handled it okay, and we walk, walked on. But I, you have to let people know, like you're well out of line here, guys. Yeah, you're well out of line. You but know. that does go on. I know. And, I and know. they were always very hard. I mean, if if it, I always felt that if I had made a suggestion, yeah. if I said this is what we should do, it was almost automatically yeah. disregarded, or that's what they tried to do. Yeah. Uh, and you just have to keep going. And there were times when there were little things that were done, you know, maybe without my knowledge that I'd find out later. And I would be. Well, there was, was, so there was, there was always those reputa reputation of certain managers which were killers out there, yeah. you know, and they were like, oh, these guys are madmen, and uh, they don't, they're half drunk all the time, and they'll beat the shit out of you, and, uh, you know, the Led Zeppelin manager, and we had the Eagles manager, and they were all like, these guys take no prisoners, and uh, I, I used to always feel like it, um, that's fine for some people. Yeah. Uh, for some artists, but it wasn't fine for you know. For I've been around Ray Parker and Earth Wind of Fire, and I'd been around uh, Robbie Robertson, and I saw that the greatest, greatest relationships between an artist and a manager, whether you went all the way to the top, was that the artist felt uh, loved, 
and yeah. in control of his career. You yeah. know, um, I don't think it was always good if there's a, a fear involved. I mean, yeah. I could see that back in the 70s when Led Zeppelin had to get their money paid at the end of the gig. I understand that. But I, in my own experience, I always felt um, from the artists I work with, the most, uh, rela- the most content artists were the ones that were close to their manager um, in their artistic endeavours as well. Well, yeah. I, I think our artist manager relationship wasn't particularly a conventional one as yeah. as most people think of artist managers um but it worked because um there were certain things that that you needed and certain things really you didn't need yes. in a manager and somehow uh the way we fit together and yeah. our strengths um just worked well together they 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 fed each other what what, so. what, what, what do you think um that you what do you think you've learned through this period of time I and mean, we've been together for 40 years you've been a manager for a long time what do you think you've learned the most is there anything that you say god that by doing this i have felt this maybe spiritually or um some kind of awakening or something is there anything that sticks to mind where you say i'd have never have got that i mean i feel that in songwriting because i go if i hadn't worked with this person mm-hmm. or if i hadn't tried to work in this uh, mode uh, i would have never known that landscape which i can now walk into well i mean as far as people uh two people stand out to me and that is uh, the person i worked for at epic records lee trippett i've already told you about that she was a woman and that was very rare at the time um yeah uh, who was the head of our the marketing uh, product management department in marketing? Um, you know that you you can be a decent person and still do well, yeah. even if you're a woman. And um, and Bob Cavallo, I learned a lot just watching him and yeah, listening yeah. to him when I was starting to do my own thing. I wanted everything to be just right. And I, uh, you know, when he was helping negotiate with Clive Calder, like I'd give him a set of notes saying, I want this and they want to do that. And (laughs) don't forget about this and that, Bob. And Bob would say things like, you know, sometimes you have to just just fight the the battles that count. You have to, you know, lose a battle or two to win the war and things like little things like that. And, you know, not you're not going to get everything you want. The idea of the negotiation is that everybody feels in some way they've won, not that you won and they lost Uh, and things like that. These these are key things that always stood out to me. And um, and working with the attorneys, you know, we, we worked with some before we had our own when I was still with Caballo, we had um, major attorneys yeah. uh you know that we could use yeah. through through bob cavallo so yeah. Yeah. uh you know just how they used language and the things they paid attention to like yeah. small words even uh stuff like that yes you know that that yeah. actually yeah. taught me a lot of things that didn't have anything to do with the words but how yeah. to think about i things. suppose it's the same way for a songwriter you yeah. work with certain people and you pick up if you're so into it you pick up things that you, you take do. on to the next gig exactly let, let me ask you uh for any our, our ladies out there, uh, songwriters, uh, uh, people that want to be managers, publishers, what would be your advice to uh, to the ladies? I think you just have to recognize your strength, find out what that is, and, and believe in it. And um, basically, you've got to believe in yourself and don't be intimidated uh, because that's easy. When yeah. you're... When you're 
confronted uh, with somebody who you know knows their stuff and you don't quite know it all yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you never know it all, but I mean, you don't know what you will eventually know. Uh, and yet you have to uh, communicate with them um, on their level. Uh, e- it's easy to be intimidated, but you have to realize that they're just humans. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a little less tough uh, from the women's standpoint now because there are women who have proved themselves and sort of uh, built the road um, uh, ahead Yes, where they are. There are lots of women now in, in very powerful positions. So it's not such a, 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 a non-thing where, where you have to struggle as much to be taken seriously. Mm. But I think people's demeanor, if you have confidence... If yeah. you have confidence in yourself, sure. yeah. that's going to yeah. carry you forward. Same, yeah, same for a songwriter. You just yeah. ha- if, if somebody intimidates you, you have to get past it somehow. Find a way. Yeah. Uh, even if it's what my father said to me. Picture him taking his pants down to take a shower. I don't want to do that. No, no that's, a <laughs> that's what I said to my dad. I said, oh, I couldn't <laughs> no, do that. No, 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 no. So I, the big question is, you, you don't regret being a woman. No. Okay. Okay. No. I, uh, it sounds like it's oh, a good I job. A sounds like it's a good gig. Sounds like a good gig. So there's going to be no sex changes today, right? No sex changes, <laughs> thank you. But I do want to say this: that if if you're nervous, I this suppose this goes for anybody, men or women. If you if you're nervous about doing something, um, like heading a panel or talking somewhere or mm-hmm. whatever it yeah. is, yeah. you should do it anyway, and because. When you do do something that scares you, afterwards, you have confidence that yeah. you didn't have before. And the next time, it's not a yeah. problem. Well, you know, um, I always like to try and find some uh, rarities here for um, my Radio Owls Nest shows. And uh, just getting the songs together for this, um, I found uh, a, a couple of rare uh, pieces here. It's a song called The Big Goodbye that Robbie Williams recently recorded of mine. Um, well, actually, he did the demo, and then uh, uh, Ronan Keaton in England, uh, an Irish artist, quite well known to everybody over there, he recorded uh, the actual song. But the story behind this is that, as we've probably mentioned in the shows before, is I would play my demos to Diane, and uh, she would tell me if they were good, bad, rubbish, or whatever, or had potential. Uh, right? Yep. Okay, I just wasn't sure if you were still there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Awake. I can I can cheer myself up at any moment. Um, but I remember that uh, Robbie Williams was going to work with me, and I thought, my goodness, this is really quite good. Um, I'm as uh, I could I'm old enough to be his grandfather. But he said I want to work with you, so I thought I've got to get some ideas together. Yeah. But I always test these ideas out. I do a lot of them, and I test them out on Diane. And I got I remember. Diane sitting in the car with me and I said these are some of my ideas for Robbie and I played you about six pieces and um, I don't know if you can remember but I played and they're all phonetic vocals I do remember that and uh, it was really serious really serious because I thought I've got to play him the right stuff you know and Diane picked one track out of these six she said that's the one you should play to Robbie remember yeah i do and uh, i'm about to play you now the demo that, that i played diane in the car which is me singing the big goodbye without any words just the phonetic thing the idea the idea so. 
And I wasn't sure about it at all. I thought, well, it's undone. It's not really. But Diane said, that's the one. That's the energy. And by God, when I went up to Robbie's house and played him about three or four ideas, he picked that one and said, that's the one we're going to work on. So um, uh, Diane was very helpful in uh, uh, getting this song to Robbie and uh, telling me that I was on the right track. So you can remember that, right? I do remember, yeah. Yeah. and, and in, uh, in your driveway in the car. That's right. And in your uh, mobile studio. And Diane was saying, no, that's the one I got. Are you sure? Are you sure? That's the one page. And I go, well, that's the one page. Get in your car and go up to Robbie's house at, uh, at the top of the hill and play it to him. So um, we're going to play you now the original demo that I did and played to Diane in the car. Just me. And then we're going to play you, after I collaborated with Robbie on the song, the demo that I did with Robbie that was eventually played to Ronan Keaton. Okay, the big goodbye. Yeah. 
You've been listening to the original demo of the Big Good Goodbye. Now I'm going to play you the demo uh, that I did with Robbie after we collaborated on the song. I guess I went a little crazy. I was out of my day. Felt intimidated, couldn't catch my breath. to say the big goodbye Cause I wanna go home The only soul you can save these days is your own was a special. Uh, you were hearing uh, a very, very rare demo, the phonetic demo, my first demo of The Big Goodbye. And then you heard uh, The Big Goodbye with Robbie Williams, and that was a track that Diane told me to play to Robbie uh, a long time ago. I'm glad to find both versions of that. Um, it makes me think here that we, the, uh, the wonderful thing about having our own small, independent label. Which is brilliant, because we can do whatever we want. Absolutely. 
Yeah, you know, it, uh, after you've been with a, a couple of major labels to end your life, you do uh, look for the freedom. Of course, with the major labels, you get a lot of a push, but at the same time, you go through a lot of pain as well. That's right. You have to give a lot away in order to get that. Yeah. You know, during the younger years in the 80s and the 90s, we had to do things that we had to do yeah. in order to to, yeah. to yeah. have the success and, and follow through. Yeah. And you had to do a lot of things for other people yes. in terms of writing. So really, I think you've earned the right to now put out what you want and develop yourself as, a, as an artist mm -hmm. and experiment, if you want to, with new ways of approaching writing. I must say, that, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up, because with Diane, she's never said to me, no, you shouldn't do that. No, you shouldn't do that. She would just guide me. When I said I really want to do an instrumental record, uh, you know, I could imagine her just turning in her grave and going, why? But, but I'm not dead yet, so I can't do that. <laughs> um, well, we thought we would do one show. <laughs> Then we said, we've got to do another one. So we did another one. And then we said, maybe we need to do another one. And we've just done this one now. We've done three and we could do Probably another Probably ten wouldn't cover it all. No, I think we could go on and on and on and on. And maybe we will again. Um, but um, it's been, you know, when I think about it, I don't, you know, how you sum up uh, these shows, you try to finish in the right way. But I, I do think it's pretty miraculous that I knocked on your door yeah. from a friend who said, go and knock on her door. I ended up uh, lying on your lying on your floor uh, writing songs, and we've been together for over forty years as a team. Yeah. And we are a team. We call each other every day, and we speak about the music. Truly uh, a team. Yeah, and uh, yeah, partnership. Yeah. Um, but who would have thought? Who would have thought? I mean, just just by chance, how it all came together, and it just. If we'd had a crystal ball then, I don't think we would have believed it. No, I think uh, sometimes, you know, you, it's, a, it's a marriage of sorts because it's creative and it's emotional and it's uh, got all the ingredients of uh, being an absolute partnership team. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, the greatest thing is when, when we achieve something, yeah. we really feel it. I can still remember picking up the phone and saying... We built the city is five in the charts. Uh, can you? And Diamond's going, I'm going, we're really near one. You know, <laughs> and the day you get number one and you, yeah. you pick up the phone, I can still remember that going like, my God, we're number one in America. Yeah. I mean, that's what you live for that. Yes. And But you live for it because you're sharing it with people you love. That's right. And you've done it all together as a team. Yeah. Um, I haven't paid you for any of these shows. That's Diamond, right. But I don't get my I, money. I don't, I mean, then again, I, um, I don't know what you've collected from me over my career. Oh, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's made me a little nervous, I must admit. Um, anyway, I hope some of you have, uh, have enjoyed these uh, specials we've done with Diane. I feel after all the years we've been together, it feels quite special to sit down and to go into our memory banks. And thank you, Diane, for being here. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And uh, maybe we'll do it again. I think we probably will. And uh, we mustn't forget to mention that there's another wonderful lady, female in our life, that helps us. And who would that be, Diane? That would be Vanessa, Queen V. Now I call her Miss V, yes. Uh, Levitt. Right? I call her Queen. Queen. It's Vanessa Levitt. Uh, thank you so much, Vanessa. She's been helping us uh, with everything we've been She's doing. She's amazing. Yeah, she was at my first uh, major gig in America. Thank you, Vanessa. Uh, women rule. So, from me, Paigey, goodbye. And from her... Diane. Goodbye from both of us. Goodbye. In the owl's nest. <laughs> <laughs>